0: Welcome to Mythic Perspective, a podcast where we explore meaningful living through the power of myth. I'm your host, Boston Blake. My guest today is organizational psychologist Renita Wellman. I met Renita in the podcasting workshop. Through Akimbo. Renita and I share a love of mythology and archetypes and story. And in this conversation, we talk about how the gods show up in stories, in our lives, and even in politics. It was a profound conversation, and I hope you enjoy. So, you live in Ojai. Mm -hmm. Where are
1: you from originally? I was born in Vancouver, Canada.
0: And when did you move to Ojai? Have you lived other places in between?
1: Yes, I have I grew up in Los Angeles. My because my mother's dream was always to live in California. So by the time I was 6 years old, I think, yeah, we moved to California, not far from the beach. I went to St. Mary's Academy in Inglewood and we were not Catholic, but that was a perfect thing for me. I loved being in uniform at a girls school. I loved the nuns. I thought they were great. I began to question, what is the Catholic religion? Where I noticed that the the nuns were not allowed to hold communion. Once a month, a priest would come to the school, and in the chapel, the priest would deliver communion. But I also picked up that the nuns were not particularly... To them, it wasn't such a big deal that the priest was there. It was like, okay, this is what we have to do because these are the rules of the church. Mm-hmm. But the nuns in themselves felt they were felt very complete as women to me. It was very interesting to me that they were not married, they were not having families, and yet they were completely fulfilled. Mm. That interested me tremendously.
0: Not exactly the cultural prescription for, for a woman's life at the
1: time. No, it was all, I was still coming out of my mother's generation, which was, if you weren't married, there was something wrong with you.
0: Mm-hmm. And here are these women having a full, a spiritually and, and life, a sense of life fulfillment without a man.
1: Exactly. They were really remarkably wholesome women, I thought.
0: Do you remember any one in particular? Was there, was there a nun who had a particular impact on you?
1: The one I didn't see very often was the what you call the mother superior of the school. I can't remember her name. She was a tall woman, very attractive, slim and tall, and a very appealing person. Very dignified, had a great nobility. She had a quiet reserve about her. And I remember my parents taking me into her for an interview. And I remember my father being only concerned that they would try to convert me. And so she agreed that nobody would be trying to do that. But I thought it was really interesting that she was, she held her own. She wasn't intimidated at all. And my father was a very impressive person. And she wasn't intimidated, threatened by him. She was very calm. And then, so she really was interesting to me. The other nun that I liked, what was her name? Sister Bernadette, was it Bernadette? She was, I can't remember her name. She was an older nun in her fifties or sixties. And she decided that she would wear the full black silk habit. Mm-hmm. which was not what most of the nuns were doing anymore. And she taught Latin. So I was in her Latin class, and she had a system where she would, whatever your grade was in the class, that's where you would sit. So if you had the lowest grade in the class, you were sitting at the end of the row, at the mm-hmm. end, the last column. Mm-hmm. And that's where I started in the class. And I think when I started, it was, I kind of had a very who cares flippant attitude. But when I was sitting in that chair, I just decided I wasn't going to sit in this chair anymore. (laughs) 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 And for some reason, it didn't feel like a punishment. It just was like an accurate, and nobody was judging anybody. I could feel Mm -hmm. that. But it was just so. By the end of the first term, I was sitting in the first chair, Mm -hmm. and after the after being in her class, she directly said to me, "You know, when you came here, you had a chip on your shoulder, and you've changed so much. I'm so proud of you." you So that was
0: right. Did you arrive with a chip on your shoulder?
1: Oh, absolutely. But Mm -hmm. I was so unaware you know, teenagers are so <laughs> stupid.
0: <laughs> it's amazing. We survived.
1: Yeah. I was very, I didn't realize how I was coming across. I thought I was just having fun inside my own head. Mm-hmm. But when I, when she said that, I realized that I had been, how was I put it? How, I had been shutting people out by playing games in my own head. What kind of games did you play in your own head? I don't know, it was just like isn't this funny, you know, that I'm not Catholic and everybody else is that kind of thing.
0: So creating structures that made you different from the people around you, those kinds yeah, of Yeah,
1: creating mm-hmm. a structure so that I could accept my place in a world that I didn't feel I totally related to. Mm,
0: I get that. I really get that.
1: Yeah, it was a kind of it was not defensive exactly, but creating a sense of how am I going to cope with this situation because I don't really fit in. Mhm. Mm -hmm. But there's, but you can do that. And then what I learned from her at the same time, you can enjoy the experience more. You can accept the situation and enjoy it, even if you don't feel like you're part of it as much as everybody else is. So you graduated
0: from that school and, and what, what do you think it, you took with you from that experience into your life, into your future?
1: A constant experience. A constant searching for spiritual meaning that was beyond religion. And
0: what were some of the avenues you explored in that spiritual quest?
1: Well, the first thing I did was I went to some youth groups while I was in high school and asked the minister who would be holding these meetings very directly, What is the place for women in the church? Mm-hmm. And if he couldn't answer the question, I just disregarded him completely. Mm-hmm. So. That was, that was that. I found that there wasn't anything in the traditional religions that was forward thinking. So eventually, I came, well, I was at University of British Columbia, we moved back to Canada. And I was all alone, because I didn't have any friends from high school. So I was going to clubs day, and I met some people, and then I found out that My godfather, who had been my godfather since birth, was part of an intentional community Mm -hmm. up in the middle of British Columbia. So I visited him at the intentional community and began to live in intentional community. Mm -hmm. I dropped out of college, and it was what would have been called a new religion, new interpretations of the Bible, and was really fascinating. So the people that I met through that association were just fascinating to me, and I still have many friends from that time.
0: Mm, how long were you there?
1: I lived in a very different intentional communities in the same network, which was called the Emissaries of Divine Light, which is now considered to be a cult. That, which to me, a cult is just another culture. So the I lived almost uh, 20 years, mm. and that was when I became interested in Jungian psychology.
0: Mm-hmm. That was my next question. Medi- seeing you posting in our in our podcasting workshop, it is just not everybody who reads Jean Shinoda Bolin. <laughs> That's a that is that is a niche author. It <laughs> is.
1: I did was never expected to find you either.
0: And, and I was so delighted. And so how? So where did Jung and and archetypal thinking find its way into your into your world?
1: Well, what was interesting was, for one thing. It was. It's fairly apparent for anybody who's lived in any organization or group of any that strikes a deep chord. There's a shared mythology of mm-hmm. some kind. Yes. So the shared mythology that we had at the time was um, biblical. We would often discuss the biblical stories and consider what what was the impact of that. What did that mean? And from then. The biblical path is very patriarchal, and there were so many women and very intelligent women, very active, very advanced women in this group. And they were good readers, and I became a, acquainted with various women authors, and one of the women who was part of the leadership had come across Jean Shinoda Boland's work, and we began to discuss the book.
0: Mm-hmm. And this book being goddesses in every woman.
1: That's right. Mm-hmm. Goddesses in every woman. And um, then gods in every man. And that was interesting for many of the men. And of course, I think men and women should read both books. absolutely. Um, and so what was exciting for me was I'd always been interested in psychology. And to see the, the Jungian archetypes discussed was was wonderful. And I thought that... Jean Shinoda Boland did such a wonderful job of drawing upon her examples of her practice and showing how I could see pictures of women. And I could see how archetypes were energy patterns and psychic energy patterns. It really made sense to me. And in that
0: book, in that book, Dr. Shinoda Bolin talks about having a stronger or weaker relationship with various archetypes. That very often there are one or two that will drive a personality during any period of life. Which archetype or archetypes are, do you believe are really active in you right now? Where do you, which, which goddesses do you have a strong relationship with at this point in your life?
1: At this point in my life, I definitely say Artemis. I am so restored when I walk in nature. And I would have never been able to get through graduate school without Athena. I'm so grateful for Athena, who, make, who has wisdom and makes plans and strategies. But when it comes down to it, my nature tends to be more Artemis, where she doesn't really make a plan. She just flows with the the nature, natural cycles. What is your, what is your graduate degree in, by the way? It's an industrial organizational psychology, which mm-hmm. is definitely an Athena branch. Very I thought awesome. I was, yeah, I was definitely, I thought I was more, this is interesting to me because it shows you how you don't really know yourself as well as you might think you do. And, <laughs> and I would have someone often over me who would be telling me what to do. And it would, and I would always feel like, okay, I have to adjust to this. It just wasn't natural for me. I always felt I should be in a position of leadership. Mm. So Athena was always there. And then Artemis, I love nature and feeling how my body responds to nature. And then Aphrodite, in terms of being creative and pulling together things that may not always seem to go together, like my original artwork for my podcast is an example of Aphrodite.
0: It is beautiful. I absolutely love the cover that you that you designed, and oh. and it feels like you. The watercolors, mm-hmm. the text, and gentle colors that just make me feel
1: uh, peaceful. That is just wonderful to hear. <laughs> and-
0: To bring this back to the archetype, to that creative, to Aphrodite, to love and beauty and creativity, I've always been interested that Aphrodite's first husband was Hephaestus, that first Mm -hmm. she was married to creativity before she started dallying with the god of war.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And that there's something about love, beauty, craftsmanship, care, dedication, that that Aphrodite was drawn to first.
1: That's really interesting. I agree with you there. The marriage of the impulse to be creative and then the dedication to building the skill are both necessary Mm -hmm. because we could be, otherwise we're just dreamers and we're not really making an impact in the world. Maybe that's why she liked Mars or Aries so much, because he was making an impact in the world. So, But what I've learned through my art classes is that it's necessary, even though I'm naturally prone to artistic expression, both my parents have been, I found being in an art class was really exciting because... I learned that I needed to work on the skill. And did that come naturally
0: to you, the discipline to work and develop the skill?
1: Yes and no. There were times when, because I loved it so much, that, again, Aphrodite forms relationships. If I loved my teacher, I just grew by leaps and bounds in skill. If I didn't like my teacher... I could hardly sleep at night. Aphrodite is very interested in relationships. They have to be meaningful. They don't have to be intimate relationships. They can be intimacies of different kinds, not necessarily not sexual, not they don't have to be traditional, they don't have to be marriage, but they are deeply impactful relationships that change her while she's in them. She's a bit of a chameleon.
0: I so often think of Aphrodite as you know the the more the more shallow and what's the word I'm looking for? Inconstant. Inconstant. The more prurient. So much of Aphrodite's lore is around Aphrodite in the boudoir. Like, yeah, yeah. And, she's
1: not respected in this society.
0: And yes, the patriarchy is just really present in the degradation of Aphrodite.
1: Yes, yeah. We see that in all the movies that I like to look at and write about. I think that an Aphrodite and Persephone had so much in common. I wrote about Marilyn Monroe as not necessarily Aphrodite, but she was idolized as an Aphrodite figure by a patriarchal Hollywood system. Yeah. But because the system abducted her, I see her as Persephone. Mm.
0: Oh, that's fascinating let's back up just a second because I would love to hear you talk about your blog what's the current title of the blog
1: well actually the current title is ranita and mm-hmm. it's that gave me room to explore we'll see how that goes but it I'm I might do another title for the blog just so that it announces what it is so
0: you're using the catalog from the from Turner classic movies the TCM Mm -hmm. network, and Mm -hmm. you are looking at movies, stories from the silver screen through a Jungian lens, and very Mm -hmm. specifically looking at the archetypes of these goddesses as they show up in these movies. Right, and the the one that I read that that just knocked my socks off was Kramer versus Kramer and the absent Demeter. Yeah, and it's just it's a marvelous piece. What, where did this, where did the inception of the blog come from? What had you start this?
1: I can't remember because I thought, first of all, it would be a way to share my artwork. So that would have been an Aphrodite impulse, I suppose. Yeah, I wanted to share my artwork on my blog. Then I began to write more and more about movie criticism because I have loved Pauline Kael since I've discovered her in the New Yorker. She's no longer with us, but she's considered to be the greatest movie reviewer, great, greatest critic. She had a way of responding to movies that I found very liberating and very intelligent. And so I felt like that's what I want to be. I want to be like Pauline Kael. And I wrote a letter. And Stephen Pressfield, who wrote The War of Art, he was he writes a lot about movies. So I was following his blog and so i wrote i wrote i write steve on my own out, also outside of responding to his blog and i was watching a movie that had been made from one of his books and the golf movie so i was watching oh uh, it.
0: the legend of bagger vance yeah i wrote, mm-hmm.
1: so i watched this movie and i started writing to him about the movie. I said, I want to read your book because, and I wrote a devastating critique of the movie.
0: <laughs>
1: <It's> just... <laughs> and then I said, I'm no Pauline Kale, but this is what I think. And he wrote back to me, said, you are Pauline Kale. <laughs> Sounds like quite a compliment. <laughs> it was. And I realized I needed to let I need, I still don't feel like I should publish that <laughs> scathing review publicly. I'm just thinking like Robert Redford is like, what was he thinking? It's like, <laughs> <laughs> um, I just thought that it was just, it, so that was, I've always wanted to be a critic. Mm-hmm. There's that Athena part. Mm-hmm. And it's also Aphrodite, because you're looking at what feels right. What's the balance in narrative? Does this really work? And I have, I'm have i very interested in the balance of narrative. So that's what I look for when I see a movie that doesn't make sense. I thought, where does this not make sense? And I it's always about the character development. The character has to follow a mythology or a conflict in mythology to make the movie make sense. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's forgettable. mm mm-hmm. I think of movies like Iron Man. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I got through it, but it, I totally forgot about it five minutes later. There was nothing in it for me to take home, nothing to relate to. All it was was like a guy in a flying suit. The movies that Barbara Stanwyck did showed a woman who was struggling with her inner life and how to make that meet her the outer life of society. And I think one of the problems we have today for writers is that the outer society has lost its structure and it's disintegrating so fast that it's too confusing to find a story Mm -hmm. of where the inner meets the outer. So we have these simplified cartoon movies. They're more escapist than they are of psychic value. And maybe Mm -hmm. that's the psychic value, maybe that people just need to escape.
0: I think there's truth in that. I think, and the, this idea, just the idea of inner life, in conversations I have with young people, they don't even have a concept of it. My sense is that there's really a, a devastating lack of meaning. In today's world, it's the, almost this postmodern deconstructionist, everything's empty and meaningless. So just get from the beginning to the end with as little friction as possible. And that'll kill us. <laughs> it
1: will actually. It's the, because if you don't have a reason to live, you won't because mm-hmm. life is hard. You have to have something in you that overcomes the challenges That's that you believe. You have to have an inner narrative that tells you, I can do this and I can get through it and I can succeed.
0: And that there's value in doing that, that there's value in getting through this and succeeding. There's something better on the other side.
1: There might be, or there might not. Fair uh, point. But I think the important part is that you come to understand that you have a character and strength that can do it, that the process, you find out who you are in the process. Mm-hmm. It's a self-knowledge that's important. I think that know thyself is still the most important thing anybody can live by high What I was reminded of, what is it, his, I don't know if you know of Bruno Bettelheim's Uses of Enchantment.
0: No, tell me about it.
1: That's a book that I think you'll enjoy. He was a psychoanalyst for children, and his premise was that children need to be told stories because it helps them to externalize the inner conflicts. For example, in the stories of the wicked stepmother, we have in the Cinderella story, he said you have the wicked stepmother and you have the good mother who died. This allows a child to externalize the two facets of their mother that they could know that they would not be able to handle that cyclic tension when they don't like their mother and they do love their mother.
0: Mm, So
1: you see, mm -hmm. so this story helps a child organize their psychic dilemmas. Without that, that, they don't know what, it's just confusion. Mm-hmm. So stories and narratives are essential to give order to the psychic experience. So
0: all of these images of good and evil, light and dark, wicked and benign, these end up being the light and shadow aspects of of people. So we can, but you can, I you can put, you could have the fairy godmother and the and the wicked queen mm-hmm. be two different. Is the it's the same psyche but divided. Putting the, putting the the pure characteristic on each of those characters.
1: Is right. That, is that right? So, that's right. So let's say you know, one of the examples he gave was say the child is with his grandmother, and the grandmother gives is you know cuddles him and is sweet to him and he's like four years old, and the child. And that and he loves his grandmother, she's just a perfect angel. And then the next day he does something he shouldn't do and she scolds him. Mm-hmm. This is no longer the same person. Mm-hmm. He has to figure out how to divide this up in his psyche, psyche, and he doesn't have the maturity to do it. He doesn't have the language.
0: He can't draw the cause and effect relationship between, well, this is the action that brought this result or any of that. It's just this same person is behaving radically differently.
1: Yeah. It's like, I don't even know who this is. It's Mm -hmm. like, has my grandmother gone crazy? Mm. So he has the perfect fairy godmother in a story, and then he has the evil stepmother in a story and that helps him to sort out and still keep relationships with people. Does this does this construct
0: does it play into uh, you practice something called narrative therapy is that right? Yes. And are these are these related? What exactly is narrative therapy?
1: It's a very complicated thing to talk about. Each person lives by a thousand or more narratives within them. And so <clears throat> This is why I like archetypes, because each of the archetypes has so many stories. Let's say I talked with a person about, tell me a story about when you were five years old and you went to your first day of school. That's a very different story than they're going to tell about when they were 20 and they went to college. Mm-hmm. But it might be related. So you mm-hmm. can connect those stories. The more a person can integrate the stories of their lives, the more self-knowledge they have and the more confidence they have
0: the greater perspective for navigating the story of the moment which doesn't get constructed until later when you can put right uh, put those those points together
1: right so being able to talk to someone about someone who is listening and can sense where the story can f- sense the the threads of the story and who can do an interviewing process that assists a person to connect the threads actually neurologically changes the physical brain. And this has been shown by Nobel prize winning researcher, Eric Kandel. Every experience you have changes your brain. Mm -hmm. Actually, your brain is going to be physically different after this conversation. And so will mine Mm -hmm. than it was before it started.
0: And you mentioned greater self-confidence. What are some other, other effects of, of doing this work?
1: Meaning, finding meaning systems, mm-hmm. making, it, making a sense-making process that gives a sense of ease. I, when I did the narrative interview, I haven't done one for a while, but when I did one with my mother, she said, now I know who I am. Oh, my yeah and she was like in her late 80s and she said now i know who i am and this is not a person lacking in confidence i can tell you um, <laughs> it was she said now i know who i am but what was interesting is the outcome you you when you do a narrative process you don't most all a lot of therapy is you have a goal in mind when you go to see a counselor i'd like to feel better about this or that with the narrative process there's it's unexpected. So, th- this is what happened with my mother. She had always been very devoted to her family. She would work hard, sometimes, you know, two or three jobs at a time. She would save up her money, paid all her own expenses because she's divorced from my father. So, she was on her own. And then she would spend every penny she saved on a visit to her family, it would be a long trip back to Canada. Nobody ever offered to help her pay her trip. Nobody ever came to visit her. Just she took all that responsibility. She felt that dedication to her family. So after our narrative session, a month later, she says, I'm going to buy a sofa for myself. It was just unbelievable. She entered into a state of some kind of self-care or self-love that had not been there before.
0: That's lovely.
1: It was unexpected. Very powerful. She said her life changed from that moment. Mm. Another example was a woman who had writer's block. And uh, she had her degree in writing and was a teacher at a college. So I did a session with her over the phone. And then I did an adjunct session with someone it's a, It's another part of the process is to bring in an outside person to discuss the interview as well. So after that, I sent a recording of this, I record the interview I'd done with the third person that she had chosen. And she wrote back to me, she said, and six months later, she said, I was running three blogs and I've never stopped. And I, it was fantastic. Oh, and after wow. That, yeah, she just... And it was not, we never addressed her writing through the Mm -hmm. interview. I never directly addressed anything. We never gave her tools, skill sets. Somehow having one's narrative witnessed by other people is extremely um, liberating and empowering. And I think because we're such social beings that none of us exists alone.
0: Mm -hmm. How did you come to this work?
1: I went to a psychotherapy conference and met Michael White, who was the co founder of narrative therapy with a man named David Epson. And Michael White was from Adelaide, Australia, and he came to San Diego for this conference. I was going to the Jungian, Marion, you probably know her name, great Canadian, Toronto based Jungian therapist. I was going there, and it was packed with hundreds of women psychologists. And uh, there was something terrifying about these women. Hmm. They were all very Athena women. And I thought, okay, I'll just wait. And she got stuck in traffic and was delayed. So I went across the hall to another meeting room. And there was Michael White. And I sat down and it was a different audience. They were, it was very international, people of different races, young people. And I sat next to a young man and I said, what, what is this? And he said, oh, stay, you're going to really like it. And it was such a friendly atmosphere. It was very inclusive, and it didn't feel like academic atmosphere at all. And when Michael came out, I just fell in love with him. He was so friendly. The people in the front were from Singapore or Hong Kong. He saw them, and they came up to him, and they all hugged each other. It was not the usual academic thing. And of all of the presenters at that conference and. He was the only one, I think he had the lowest degree in a bachelor's degree in social work. Hmm. Everybody else had PhDs. And he was so respected. They all respected him so much. Yeah. So I saw a few films of sessions he had done with clients, and they all brought tears to my eyes.
0: Sounds like you encountered calling.
1: I did. And yeah, then Michael died too soon. Oh. And I would like to find a way to, to keep doing his work. So I'm doing movie criticism as a way of finding narratives that make sense to me. And I think by sharing, writing about these narratives of women, I believe that I'm providing something, I'm providing a language that might help some women to explore more of who they are with some great satisfaction and without self condemnation. I we could certainly use more of that in our world right now. Yeah, we see mm-hmm. the for it's there's it's the time for, of the rise of Athena, but it's also the time of the rise of many other archetypes. Mm-hmm. We see women in politics going gangbusters and I'm so happy to see that. It's the beginning.
0: Yeah. Boy, um I can't believe I'm blanking on her name. Kamala? No. Th- she's not who I'm thinking of. Kamala but but no, she ran for president. She didn't win. She's Hillary? Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> Eliza- no. Elizabeth. Elizabeth, Elizabeth, <clears throat> Elizabeth Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Elizabeth Warren just the woman with a plan for everything. It, it was it was the Athenian energy was palpable with her, specifically mm-hmm. in the stratagem field. Mm-hmm. It was not, you know, Kamala's the fighter. She's she was more, the more direct, confrontational face. I think she had some more Artemis energy. But all of these women, I mean, Athena is present and active. You, ha- you have to be to play mm-hmm. in 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 American politics in this era as a woman. That's Athena, and yeah. it it is the the rise is happening. It's an exciting time. Too. Interesting
1: to see the archetypes actually living in flesh form. Um, mm-hmm. We see what it what is it like when a woman has a shield and a sword, mm-hmm. and she leaps out, and she's actually equal counterpart to Zeus.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And what's so funny is that she gave him a headache until she could be born.
0: Yes. <laughs> that was...
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Which is a wonderful... A metaphor for the current state of affairs is like elizabeth warren was definitely a headache i mean they banned her from the congress
0: <laughs> yep and so this is a this is a half-baked thought that i'm that i'm putting together right now so zeus swallows metis or metis in in their game of their shape-shifting game. And who is who Zeus has presumably impregnated. But there's a prophecy that says the offspring of Metis will will dethrone Zeus. And then it's Athena, which is a a reassimilation of Metis, this goddess of cunning, who who gave Zeus the the potion that causes Cronus to throw up. brothers and sisters and metis was more of a it's more of a, a familial cunning there's no state yet zeus is the beginning of this patriarchal hierarchical power structure and athena emerges fully formed from this zeus culture from like somebody who is already built to stand in the patriarchy who is already built to go toe to toe with zeus but the roots of that are in in women's wisdom, in managing the household, in the in understanding medicines, in a, all of these abilities to navigate the patriarchal culture from a disempowered place. And then Athena takes that and transforms it into, "Oh no, 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 no!
1: I was born for this." Mm-hmm. And I, I love that. I was born for this no apology no for apology not, for for not being feminine not being a wife or a mother or submissive she has no apology whatsoever mm-hmm. and i love it she emerges from the head i mean she's right there head to head literally and i love that you brought up the idea that she's she's raised within the culture of zeus athena develops within inside of zeus mm-hmm. And he probably hasn't given her a second thought until she's hammering away to get out. And that's what's so interesting to me. I think he, I get the impression Zeus has just disregarded that she even exists until Mm -hmm. she springs forward with all of her determination. Like, here I am, deal with it. Mm -hmm.
0: And constructs her armor within him, builds her weapons within him, like she comes out armed and ready.
1: Yeah. She's she's no butterfly.
0: No, no, no. She is no butterfly.
1: There's nothing like her. She is a woman fully armed full and with great wisdom. Mm -hmm. She doesn't second guess her. And I would like that. The way she springs forth with armor and the sword represents a woman who has had a strategy.
0: Mm. She
1: has not, she has decided I will not be born. Until I have my sword and my shield. Mm -hmm. She's no fool.
0: Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you really want to talk about and bring to the table?
1: No, because then we'd go on for another hour. (laughs) Absolutely not. Well, perhaps don't let's not let's end it here. It's perfect. Let's end it here. It's perfect. And
0: I would love to do this again. There are so many archetypes to discuss. And in the meantime, Mm -hmm. I will keep I'll keep looking at your blog. That might be an excellent entrance for our next conversation. Yeah, good, 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 good. Thank you so much for agreeing to this conversation Renita. I really appreciate you. You've been such a an ally and a champion in the in the podcasting workshop and I can't wait to hear what else comes out of the work.
1: Oh, I'm so excited. Thank you for everything you do. You're just you're providing so much there and I'm really glad that we have we that we have a promise to stay in touch. I'm just so pleased.